A few very simple points. Why did God save us? For His own glory and pleasure. Therefore, when we have glad hearts and we verbalize that gladness and thanksgiving to Him, we are fulfilling our purpose of creation and we're fulfilling our purpose of salvation. It is not confusing why God made you or saved you. It is for His own honor and glory. He did not need to make you and He did not need to save you. He did not feel sorry for you because we all deserved hell. He created and He saved for His own praise, pleasure, and glory forever. And the purpose of today is to remind us that God is good. And for us to have glad hearts and praise Him is to fulfill the very purpose for which He created us and saved us. Second simple point. The Christian world around us knows what I preached this morning, that God is good. But they let that goodness distort Their idea of God. Their idea of God is some big granddaddy cotton candy God in the sky. And that is not the way the Bible describes him at all. God is good in general to all men and beasts. God is particularly good to his own elect and the children and those that fear him and love him. God sends rain from heaven, and it brings forth fruitful seasons, and all the men of all generations have known the joy of food and gladness in their hearts from those fruitful seasons. But we also know that the Lord sent rain from heaven that continued to rain and rain and rain until it had drowned every living creature in whose nostrils was the breath of life. And it's in knowing both that we know the true God of heaven. He hates sin and sinners that are outside the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea that God hates the sin but loves the sinner is not in the Bible. That's a made-up imagination of someone who has created a God to their own liking. The only way that God can love us is because He chose us in Christ Jesus and chose to make us holy and without blame by Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness being applied to us. And that's why He loves us. We know that He sends rain from heaven and fills our hearts with food and gladness, but He also sent the rain of the flood. And it's knowing both sides of God that teach us about our Heavenly Father. And I'm thankful that this wicked world that takes his name in vain, ignores him, speaks against the word of God, tries to outlaw in our country. They will reap the consequences of their wickedness because that God of heaven who sent the rain one time will bring fire the next time. And he will silence the mouths of our adversaries and his adversaries. Third, simple point. When anyone visits this congregation, my dear brethren, I want them to know that they have come among one of the happiest group of Christians that has ever lived. I want us to be so full of joy and gladness and praise to our God that they can see it, feel it, and they they leave this place convicted that they want to be more like that. It is not for our honor and glory, not in the least bit. I couldn't care about that. As long as the Lord Jesus Christ will accept our efforts and approve of us, that's all that we ask for. But we want to do that so that we can encourage them and be a beacon of light in the earth. That there is a reason and a cause to be joyful and glad and to praise and to give thanksgiving. Life is too short to complain and be unhappy. 
It gets over with too quickly. Let's choose to rejoice as these words that I have for you in this second assembly. Turn to Deuteronomy with me to chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. We could have the most detailed confession of faith that deals with all things doctrinal and practical. We could lay a book on people when they come to see us of the things the Lord has shown us, but I'd rather show them the joyful heart of a child of God that knows Him in truth and is living it. And if you don't have the joy and gladness of God in your heart and it doesn't come out through your mouth and it doesn't show in your countenance and there's a serious problem, whether you've got your doctrinal eyes dotted or not, God doesn't care. God does not care about the details when your heart is not correct in the matter and is not rejoicing before Him. We want both. That's our goal is to have both. But let's make sure that we have hearts and minds and mouths that are lined up with what He expects of His people and what His great servants have done in the past. Look at this warning about not being thankful and being glad. Not being glad. Verses 47 and 48. I've I've read these to you before, but these are sober words. I'm going to take you to 1 Thessalonians 5.16 in a minute. It's only two words long. You can memorize a verse before you leave today. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. It's a New Testament commandment of the Apostle to the Gentiles, our brother Paul. But notice how serious the Lord is about us rejoicing in all of His goodness. When the God of heaven, who is perfectly just and holy, continues to pour out goodness upon a people, and they are not thankful, nor do they praise Him... He is rightfully offended. And He will judge those who don't appreciate His goodness. Because if He treated us fairly, He would have already sent us all to hell. Hell is fair. Grace is not fair. That's why it's called grace. Deuteronomy 28, verse 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness... And with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee, in hunger, and in thirst, and in nakedness, and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck, until he have destroyed thee. This is the word of the Lord. This is God speaking. If you are not joyful... And glad for the abundance of all things that God has given you. Then God has the right and God will exercise that right to judge severely by sending enemies against you and taking you down until he have destroyed thee. Let that be a warning to all of us that we need to be thankful and joyful and it needs to come out of our lips. It needs to show on our faces. We need to be a thankful and joyful and glad people. I look at these two verses. And I'm thinking about the audience that heard the words. They had never had a home. Do you know who this audience is? It's everyone that was 20 years of age and under when they stood on the brink of Canaan and their fathers wouldn't take it. These people never had a home. They ate manna. And I don't care how good manna was. We have more variety than manna. I believe manna was quite good, but we have more variety. Abundance of all things. They didn't even get a new pair of shoes in 40 years. The Bible tells me that. God kept their old shoes from wearing out. 
We get new pairs, we get new cars, we get new houses, new things. The Lord is so good to us. The abundance of all things. The point being, we have more abundance than they did. We have so much more abundance than they did, the comparison isn't fair. But if God held them accountable to this kind of a standard and they didn't have anything, what's he going to hold us accountable to when we have so much? You want to talk about things spiritual? How close did these Israelites get to things spiritual? They hardly knew. Even the ones that wrote to them, the prophets like Moses, were writing very obscurely because even they didn't understand the the times of Jesus Christ and the glory that was to come. Let alone the hearers of them. They heard the law thundered at them. We have grace and truth by Jesus Christ. We are so blessed abundantly, we ought to be the most thankful of all people. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Thank you for your testimony, Matthew. Thank you, Matthew's mother, for telling him to read the book of Ecclesiastes. And on Friday night, your son gave an exhortation in public to the the young man that was married and exhorted him from this chapter. And I just want to grab it again and remind us of why it's here and how it fits in with the overall scheme of God's goodness that ought to result in our gladness and our gladness ought to result in giving praise to God. We have got to be verbal about it. You can't tell God or me that you're thankful if you don't give thanks. And it's not for me, it's for the Lord. We want to get it out. We want to declare His works. We want to tell of all His wonders. We want to sing of His excellent greatness. We want to praise Him with our mouths. We want to bring the calves of our lips. Ecclesiastes 9, here's the verse that Brother Matthew used on Friday evening. Verse 9 Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Marriage is a great thing when you've got a husband and a wife treating each other the way the Bible tells them to. Marriage, marriage is not a great thing when a husband and a wife do not treat each other the way the Bible tells them to. Marriage is one nightmare. That's why the Bible tells us that a man married to an odious woman wants to escape to the wilderness, to the attic, anywhere he can go and hide from that screeching, contentious, brawling woman that is in the house, even if it's a wide house. The Bible doesn't say it's not big enough. He wants to get away. But when you have a good wife and a good husband, this is the joy, and this is the way God wants His children to live. Live joyfully. I gave that to Daniel on Friday morning. Matthew gave it to him on Friday evening. And I give it to you again so you can see it in print from the Word of God that that's how we're to live. We're to live joyfully. We have a life under the sun, and we ruin the life under the sun. That's why it's now vanity. God made it very different for us in the Garden of Eden. He gave us a tree called the Tree of Life. Matthew and I were talking about that before the service this morning. You know, there's a breakfast cereal called Life. I'm talking about something a little bit better. The Tree of Life. Which, if you were to eat of the Tree of Life, you would live forever. We didn't want to live forever. We didn't want truth and life forever, so we chose the lies of the devil through our first parents and death and destruction. And as soon as we choose the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God sent a flaming cherubim to stand in the way and keep the way of the tree of life. But I'll tell you something. I'm not speaking of a fable. There's a tree growing in heaven. 
And it's called the tree of life. And we are going to all eat the fruit of it. Because we're going to live forever. Because Jesus Christ, the second Adam, undid what the first Adam did against us. Praise the Lord. We're going to, and you know what? There's not even going to be a tree of knowledge of good and evil there to tempt us. Praise the Lord for that. There's not going to be a devil there to tempt us to eat it. Praise the Lord for that. We're not even going to have a sinful old man that would listen to the devil to eat the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil if it were there. Praise the Lord for that. God is good. He is going to make it guaranteed safety for us. So we can't sin. We'll be delivered from the presence of sin. It'll be gone forever. This is, that's what we're hoping for, waiting for. And when I say hope, I don't mean it might happen. I mean the hope in the way the Bible defines the word in Romans chapter 8. And that is a confident expectation and waiting for it. We're waiting for it to come to pass. Look at Second Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6. Brethren, how do we define the higher life? And I don't like using those words unless we take a, are just careful with them. How, do we, how can we step up onto higher ground in serving the Lord? One of those ways is to be joyful, to be thankful, to have hearts full of gladness and mouths full of praise. Full. There was not only a fantastic men's brunch in two families on Friday morning. By family tradition, there was also a, a similar, a same ladies' brunch. And I thank you for encouraging them all with great joy about how to be a great wife. Sister, the Lord knows and we all know that you are one very joyful and praising and thanking child of God And you were sent to us as a gift, and you're a constant conviction and soreness to us whenever we're not thankful and joyful. The ladies had a great time as well. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all its benefits. I don't deserve a family. I don't deserve any goodness of God. And He has given so much because He is good, and He forgives repentant sinners. Second Chronicles chapter 6, our brother Solomon has built a temple for the Lord God of heaven. And he built it the best he could according to the blueprint that David gave him, that David got from the Lord. David provided the materials. Can I read a few verses to you about the kind of spirit and attitude and, and words we ought to have? Second Chronicles 6.41, and I'm not going to stop at the chapter break. Second Chronicles 6.41. Now therefore arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David, thy servant. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven 
and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement, and worshipped, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord, and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of twenty and two thousand oxen and a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. Verse 10, And on the three and twentieth day of the seventh month, he sent the people away into their tents, glad and merry in heart for the goodness that the Lord had showed unto David and to Solomon and to Israel his people. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Those men, David and Solomon, they weren't just mere dramatists. They loved the Lord God of heaven. And they gathered with all their might to build an exceeding magnificent temple to God. And that exceeding magnificent temple was to be dedicated with great praise and sacrifices for the goodness of God. And we want to rejoice in goodness, like it says in verse 41. We want to rejoice in God's goodness. There should never be complaining in the mouths of our children or ourselves. God hates murmurers. He destroyed them from among his people Israel. Let there be no murmurings or disputings among us that we might be the sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. According to Philippians chapter 2, God has been so good to us. Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Do you get discouraged sometimes? So did Paul. That's comforting. But when we're cast down, we don't let ourselves get destroyed. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? David asked in Psalm 42 and 43, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? God is the strength of your life. He will still be the joy of your countenance, O my soul. Here's how he put it in a different place. Psalm 27, verse 13, I had fainted. The sense of these words, as you will know from reading the rest of the verse, is this. I would have fainted. I had fainted. I would have fainted unless... I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We lay hold of God's goodness by faith that there will be future goodness, even if there's a turn of circumstances at the present that may not look very good. I would have fainted, but I had a remedy. And the remedy was I believed something. I believed that God's goodness was going to come to me yet in the land of the living. Now we know we're going to get God's goodness in the land of the dead. When we're with the Lord. But in the land of the living, David was confident of God's goodness. And I want to give to you a remedy for the times in your life where you feel that circumstances have turned and God isn't being good to you. Believe they're coming. Joseph was sold by his brothers into Egypt. 
He felt and knew God's goodness by the kindness that Potiphar showed to him in employing him and blessing him abundantly. But then he was falsely accused and convicted of rape, sent to prison, but the goodness of the Lord was there with him as well. Then the butler and the baker forgot him and left him there, but he was called before Pharaoh and the goodness of the Lord was with him yet. And on and on it goes. I had fainted. I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you know what we need to do that? You need to be in the Word of God every day. You need to be in prayer every day, confessing your sins of unthankfulness, of discontentment, of frustration. Because God is good. God is good. If you've had a dry season in your soul, you should ask yourself if you're the cause of it. Because God is good. And He's merciful. And if you'll remember from Psalm 107, two of those sections were God's goodness to those who had rebelled in sin. As long as we cry, they, then they cried unto the Lord in their distresses, and He delivered them out of all their troubles. Four times. Then they cried. All we have to do is cry unto our Father, I'm sorry for playing the fool. Please be good to me again. Do you know how long it takes Him to believe that, accept that, perform on that? Instantly. And it's not because of your goodness. It's because of the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ who paid an infinite sacrifice for us so that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He has to forgive us. He's bound to forgive us. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid for those sins. So if you're troubled, if there's a dry period in your life, confess anything that you could be guilty of and beg God to show you where you may be guilty and believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. He doesn't have to bring it to you in the next five minutes. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. If you get frustrated, discontent, complaining, murmuring, bitter, you're not waiting on the Lord. You're fighting against the Lord. That is not the way to get the Lord's blessing or goodness in your life. What a wonderful little remedy in Psalm 27 and verse 13. Look at Psalm 145. Psalm 145. This is... Describing God's people. The whole psalm is good. I know that there are some of you that consider Psalm 145 to be the best of the 150. I could call a couple of you by name. I enjoy knowing those things about some of your souls. I like verse 7. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. This is the character of a special level of Christian. This is the level of a special category of children of God. The ones that are full of joy and thanksgiving and praise. I asked earlier, what did God create us for and save us for? Well, I think we could probably look at the angels and see from heaven. And what do they do with their existences? They cease not day and night to praise the God of heaven. They sing praises to Him. They glorify Him. The four beasts... Cease not to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth 
is full of his glory. That's, we can fulfill our destiny. You want to fulfill your destiny? Here it is, right in front of us. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness. It's all about God. It's about his great goodness. And they abundantly utter it. To utter something is to open your mouth and let it come out. Let us be known as the most thanking people on earth. Not for our praise. For the glory of God and the encouragement of others. We don't want any glory. We want all the glory to go to Him. But let's give the Lord that glory. Let's abundantly utter the memory of Thy great goodness. Do you utter His goodness? Do you utter His goodness? Goodness. Do you abundantly utter it? Abundantly is an adverb there telling you what your utterance should be like. Are you one that abundantly utters His great goodness? Look at Zechariah chapter 9. Toward the end of your Old Testament, Haggai and Zechariah were two prophets given to stir up the nation of Israel that had been regathered to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Zechariah chapter 9. Oh, there's so many verses about the rejoicing and gladness and glory that God wanted from Israel when He regathered them. Did He, did he need to regather them? Did they deserve regathering? It was all of grace. And so there's many verses in the major and minor prophets of the joy that he was going to bring back to them and the praise that he wanted from them. Here's just one little expression. Verse, I'll get verse 16. Zechariah 9:16. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful, and new wine the maids. God sends rain from heaven, giving fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. That's why it says, corn shall make the young men cheerful, and new wine the maids. But look at what it says about the Lord. For how great is His goodness, and how great is His beauty! Exclamation points. Because God's goodness is great, and His beauty is great. Do you love to speak of it? The Bible tells us that the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. All iniquity shall close her mouth, we read earlier today in Psalm 107, about verse 42. Romans chapter 2, 4, if you look at it, listen to how it words it. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, I want the whole verse. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness. God's goodness can be described as riches. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The world does not know that. They have the fruitful seasons. They have food and gladness in their hearts, but they never say a thing to God. They do not know what that goodness is sent for. That goodness is a witness that there is a God in heaven before whom we should repent. When, the, when Peter had been fishing all night and did not take anything, but had toiled all night long, 
and he met the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ told him to cast his net in one more time. Peter said, We have been toiling all night long and have taken nothing. But according to thy word, we will cast our nets in one more time. Do you know the rest of that? Do you know all the rest of that story? He pulled up so many fish, his boat began to sink. He called his partner to bring over a boat, and that boat began to sink. And Peter fell on his knees before the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our God. And he said, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. The goodness of God had led him to repentance. Do you all know that God is greater in goodness towards you than in your wickedness toward him? Because wherever sin abounds, by whatever means, grace abounded more. That's, that was Peter's reaction. And that should be our reaction. I grew up with a bunch of pagan Catholics in a bank in Michigan in my young life, my, my early life. If someone got an unusual raise or promotion, they would say, you must be living right. And so they presume on God by their circumstances. I'm telling you right now, the goodness of God should lead you to repentance. Blessing upon blessing in circumstances like that should make you like Peter. Lord, I don't deserve, like Jacob. I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of all the truth that thou hast shown me. Thy servant, shown thy servant. Peter said, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a wicked man. When we see God's blessings in our lives, we should not presume to think that that must be evidence that we're living right. That should be a reminder for us to examine our lives to make sure we're not living wrong. Because that's how it should lead us. We should thank and bless the Lord, but at the same time, fall to our knees and say, You are being more faithful and good to me than I have been good to you. Forgive me my sins and have mercy upon me. But the world does the opposite and, and does not humble themselves that way. Psalm 4. Psalm 4, brethren, I'm going to close. I, I never even got to my outline. It was just my introduction. You know what? If, if we go out of here, though, convinced about God's goodness and reminded that we ought to have gladness in our hearts and that gladness driving our lips and abundantly uttering the praise of His goodness, then we will have accomplished a great deal. There's no one out there that's going to encourage us to do this. You're not going to meet any customers. You're not going to go on the job and meet anyone. No newspaper that you read nor television that you watch is going to encourage you in this direction. You will be left high and dry. We come into the house of God to be reminded of what's important. And what is important is God has left himself a witness in the earth in that he does good. He sends rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. But now I want to show you that we of all people are the most blessed. Psalm 4 and verse 6. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. 
This is the difference between a righteous man in the world and a worldling. The worldling gets excited when their corn and their wine increase. And God said in Acts 14, 17, that that was a witness that he was good. And he did that to let them know that there was no idol that could do that. And there was no man that could do that. But he, the living God, had done that. But we as God's children are at a much higher plane and a higher ground than that. They may be looking around and be discouraged. And so they say, there be many that say, who will show us any good? My life's messed up. My life's unhappy. Nothing ever turns out the way I want it to. There be many that say, who will show us any good? I have preached to you today about the goodness of God. Who will show us any good? I'll tell you who. The next word in that verse. And David knew how to answer such a scornful, complaining, murmuring, unthankful, wicked, discontented spirit. Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Smile at us. Smile at me. When you walked into the presence of a real king, you walked in with a smile. Or he chopped your head off right then on the spot. Because if you did not think him worthy of you smiling, then you didn't deserve to live. That's impressive authority. Nehemiah was afraid of that in Nehemiah chapter 2. He said, I had never been unhappy in the presence of the king before. Esther was afraid to go into her own husband. Because if he didn't smile at her and lift his scepter, she was going to be killed. We have a God that we worship. And all we need is for him to smile at us. And God will deliver us and give us lots of good. Because God is good. And all he has to do is smile upon us. And he can change one, two, ten, or all the circumstances in your life. But is that where you go? Or do you try to solve it yourself? Or do you get bitter and complain? Will you please take the remedy of the second half of verse 6 and make it to prayer? When you're in trouble and you're wondering if there's any good in your life and there's a little voice inside of you that's your old man and the devil is encouraging him with the thoughts, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Just smile at us and we shall be well. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. A person who's walking with God, whether rich or poor, whether housed or in an inner prison, in irons, can be happy because the Lord is with them. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. They hold great parties and they celebrate promotions. They do big things in, the na- in their own honor. But we should be doing these things because the Lord walks with us and has made us his children. Right. That gladness should far exceed theirs. We should get more excited than they do with their little toys and their bubbles. Their soap bubbles. The best they have are soap bubbles and we have the reality. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. Because the Lord is with us. How joyful are you and glad? Do you know that your whole life is moved and blessed by God smiling or not smiling? 
Lord, for everyone here today that knows that you are good and is thankful for you saving them by Jesus Christ, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon them, upon us. Smile upon us, O Lord, and we shall be saved here and in the world to come. Brethren, has he put more gladness in your heart than he has put in theirs in their best of times? Let it out. Tell us about it. Show it. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.